we can chuckle some of those things we kind of relate to, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we have all been there. I was uh, uh, just astounded at, at a time recently that I spent in a waiting room and they didn't have any public Wi-Fi access. And uh, during that time that I was sitting there and I couldn't connect, I couldn't download any new emails or receive any texts or do any work at all because I wasn't connected. And so I'm sitting there feeling very cut off, very alone. And it's interesting how much we depend on this feeling of being connected. Um, We're in a series called Digital Living, and we're talking about how social media affects the soul of a human being. And you may remember, I told you the research tells us that the average young person today checks their phone about 85 times a day. That's the average. I was curious how many times a day I check my phone. So twice now, I've actually tried to go through the course of a day and count every time that I look at my phone, but I ran into problems each time I did this. I was checking my phone so often without thinking about it, I know I would have checked it several times before actually marking it down and remembering to mark it down, so I never really got a good count. Uh, Sometimes I find myself looking at my phone, maybe you can relate to this, for no reason at all, or I'll look at my phone literally a few minutes after I just looked at my phone. Do you do that? I've noticed sometimes I feel tempted to look at my phone even while I'm having a conversation with one of you. Uh, And I know that's terrible, but some of you are doing that right now, probably. Um, We have this sense, uh, this desire of wanting to be connected and feeling secure or more secure when we are. And uh, there's this conditioned response of always wanting to check, always wanting to see, always wanting to know. We live in an amazing time. I've said this before, and I really do mean that. We do live in an amazing time. We live in a time where the ability to stay connected across time and across distance is just pervasive. Uh, I mean, we can call meetings with people on the other side of the world anytime we want. We can just FaceTime together. I can check what's going on with my family or let them know what's going on in my life. So, so so easy with this device that I carry with me. I can download an app and check the weather or check the traffic. Uh, I can see who's at my front door when I'm not even at home. I can even have a conversation with them from the front door. There's just so much that we can do with our technology. We've said before that technology and the creativity that's involved in developing it is really one of the many ways that we reflect the image of God that is in each of us. When we are creative, when we create things that do good, we are very much reflecting the image of God. But it raises an important question for me and for you, and that is this. With all of this being in contact, am I really more connected, is the question. Are my relationships actually better? Uh, There is a researcher at MIT whose name I've mentioned before. Her name is Sherry Turkle, and she has written a book called Alone Together. It's an interesting book. Uh, She's been studying the impact of technology-mediated communication, uh, particularly on the generations of young people who only know uh, technology-mediated communication. They've grown up with it. There's never been a time in their life when they didn't communicate through technological Uh, technology-mediated communication. And she is noticing a number of trends in the younger generations. One of those trends is something that she calls performance anxiety. People are worrying more and more, she says, about how they present themselves 
online, how they seem or are seen online. Uh, She says that many of them give a a great deal of thought to what pictures they post or what messages they send or what music they say they like because they don't just want to have connections with these friends. They want to be followed. They want to be liked. Uh, They want regular, steady attention from the individuals to whom they're giving or sharing this information. Sherry Turkle says, communicating online is evolving into a kind of performance which creates a sense of anxiety for some. One young person said this, and I quote, this is somebody she interviewed. Um, This young lady said, I wish I were more like I am online. Wow. Uh, Think about what that's saying. She's saying, "I, I wish I were more like I am presenting myself to be online. And she's anxious because she's living really in two different worlds. She's living two different lives and they don't necessarily match up. One in the real world, one in the online world. Uh, There's another trend that Dr. Turkle notices, and this uh, is a trend that's occurring around this thing of texting. Texting is a wonderfully efficient way to communicate, but it also creates what researchers observe as a a reassuring distance between people, sort of a sense of relief that I don't have to actually interact with another human being. I can tell them what I want to tell them, but I, I can avoid that personal contact. I can communicate from a safe distance from that person. It's a recognition that in person, conversations can be messy. Conversations can be bumpy. They can be difficult to navigate. I mean, you've got all that tone of voice stuff and body language and facial expression. And as you go in a face-to-face conversation, you have to improvise as you go, right? Well, with texting, it's short, it's sweet, it's cut and dried, it's just a few words. But apparently some people, according to these researchers, will spend 10 to 20 minutes just thinking about exactly what words to use in the text to make sure that the text is clear, that it will not be misunderstood. Now, researchers are noticing that this is making in-person interactions more and more difficult for some. For example, one young person interviewed said that she refuses, as much as she possibly can, she refuses to make telephone calls or to have telephone conversations. And she says, she does that because this, and I quote, you have to know how to end the conversation and I don't know how to do that. Makes her feel awkward. So she just doesn't want to do it. Research is finding that while screen-based communication is great at connecting people across distances, and it really is great for that, uh, and that can bring people together, but it can also create a sense of isolation because you can hide behind the screen. You can hide when you're texting. You can keep things kind of at a safe distance. And so ironically, while we have far more contact, the question really is, are we more connected? That's the question. Uh, Long before Facebook ever came into being, the psalmist wrote these words, and uh, what he's talking about is this thing of feeling alone. The psalmist writes in Psalm 102, I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. Now, it's ironic, you know, the bird uh, from its perch up on a roof, up on the top of a building, can look around, it has lots of information because of its vantage point, uh, because of its perch there, And yet the bird is all alone. And there's a bit of a parallel here because today we have access to loads and loads and loads of information. You could say from an information perspective, we're on a very high perch. We know what's going on all around us in the world on almost an instant. And yet there we are lying alone, looking at the screen, isolated. 
like a bird, alone on a roof. This weekend, there are two words I want to give you, two words that I hope you will take with you from this gathering time this morning. Uh, Two words that I want you to integrate into your life that will help you balance the whole online experience, balance your use of technology, balance your use of social media. And the two words are very simple, the two words are these, in person, in person. We need to do significant parts of our lives in person. Some parts of life just have to be done that way, in person. Now, I recognize as soon as I say that too, to some, I could sound old fashioned just because of saying that. Why do I actually need to do that? It's slow. It's less efficient. It takes too much time, too much energy invested. It's messy. It's bumpy. So why do I have to do so much of my life in person? Well, I would tell you there is a reason for this. And it's actually a deeply spiritual, biblical, theological reason. Your spiritual life is deeply connected to your relational life. The quality of your spiritual life, your life with God, is intricately connected to the quality of your relationships with people. This is just how God made us to function. He did this actually on purpose. Uh, The Apostle John, uh, a writer of one of the books in the New Testament, writes these words. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, he observes. God is a spirit, so no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God is in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, I want you to think about the implications of John's statement here. One of the implications, there are probably many, but one of the implications is that if we love one another, if we have healthy, connected relationships with others, we experience something of God that we would otherwise miss. John is saying, look, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us somehow only when we love one another well. There's a connection between these two things. Your spiritual life is deeply, intricately connected to your relational life. There's this connection. You know, in the pages of scripture, you see God oftentimes be present or you see God move or interact or speak or guide or lead uh, other people often through people, through people. One of my favorite examples of this is seen in the life of the apostle Paul. Many of you know his story. On his uh, third missionary journey, he's going from city to city to city, and he he and his friends are planting, starting new churches. And he travels toward a city called Corinth, but he gets sidetracked. He winds up uh, in Macedonia in a city called Philippi, where he uh, perhaps writes a letter to the church at Corinth. And he is in this particular moment where he's actually pretty discouraged. He's pretty discouraged. Uh, He has gone through some very difficult times, imprisonment being one of them, beatings being another. And he is using the social media of his day. He is writing letters and he is using the means of communication that is uh, available to him. And yet he is still feeling isolated and alone in many ways. And so then something happens. Uh, Listen to how he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, for when we came into Macedonia... This body of ours had no rest, so he's staying up at night. But we were harassed at every turn, 
conflicts on the outside, fears within. So this is tough stuff that he and his companions are going through. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. It's so interesting. He says, God comforted us and God comforted us through the coming of this, this person, Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort that you had given him. He told us about your longing for me and your deep sorrow and your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever. So the question is, how does God show up and comfort Paul and his companions? Well, he does it in person through the coming of his friend named Titus, somebody that Paul knows, somebody that Paul loves, somebody that Paul has discipled, somebody that Paul completely uh, trusts, someone who was far more present than just words or communication. Paul didn't just need communication. Paul needed a person. And so do you, and so do I. We need people face to face in our lives, absolutely critical. When you're struggling, when you're processing a problem, there's nothing like having someone present to listen, to share, to embrace, to say, I, I get how hard that is. I, I love you. I always will. I'm here for you. We need people in person in our lives this way. God often meets us, in fact, in the form of another person. And friends, our spiritual life is deeply connected to our relational life. I'm going to keep going back to that. There's a Christian psychologist. His name is John Townsend. He has an interesting way to frame this up. I love this graph that he uses. Um, he's got on the, the, uh, on the graph, as you see there, there's God. That's the, one of the continuums. And then there's people. And then there's a diagonal line uh, going through the graph. And he talks about our life with God, our spiritual life, going deeper in our faith and growing spiritually, happening as we improve in our life that we live with people. He says one of the dangers is that we think we can kind of have these two things be separate. We can kind of live in the upper left quadrant there where we have a great spiritual life, a relationship with God, but really we have terrible relationships with people. People think, well, you know, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I do this, I do that. I'm getting more and more good information all the time, but I'm not really connected, not very well to people, people who love God and follow Jesus. But that's okay because I have a great spiritual life. And he points out, Dr. Townsend points out, that most of life is actually lived on that diagonal line, meaning that as, as you progress in terms of healthy, uh, strong spiritual relationship with people, that also helps you to progress in your relationship with God. We grow closer to God as we grow closer and more connected in community. Now, we can actually drift away from God as our relationships suffer. As we isolate ourselves and, and seek to live alone or apart from other people who are following Jesus, that can actually have a very negative spiritual effect on us. Most of life, again, he says, and I would agree, is lived on that diagonal line. And this raises a question. Where would you put yourself on that diagonal line? And understand, I'm not asking you how do you feel about yourself spiritually. I'm not asking, you know, how your quiet times and so are going I'm, uh, or, or how often you go to church. I'm actually asking you, where do you put yourself on that line that, that intersects, that, that involves both people and God? Where would you put yourself on the line? You know, one of the very profound implications around this is that one of the reasons people are languishing sometimes spiritually 
is because they're languishing relationally. I mean, think about that. One of the reasons that people are languishing spiritually is because they're languishing relationally. They do life alone. They do uh, life detached. They are not connected to others. They are not known by others, nor do they know them. Our spiritual health, our spiritual life is not just about, you know, if you go to church, if you read your Bible, if you pray occasionally. I mean, those things are all great. They're all essential ways to connect with the Father, with Jesus, and so with the Spirit. But our spiritual health and life is also about who is in your life. Who really knows you? Who, you, who, who do you really know? Who influences you? Which again is why this conversation about online, our online lives and connection is so important. For the rest of the time that we've got here, I'd like to shift gears. And I'd like to actually talk about five simple ways that you can integrate this idea of in-person. Integrate this in-person idea into your life. And this is regardless of whether you text or snap or pin or tweet or share or post or swipe or whatever you do. These are five things that all of us need to do to have healthier relationships. Okay? You with me? Yes. Okay, here we go. Number one, we really need to get connected in person. We need to get connected. This sounds so basic. I almost didn't want to put this point down because it's like, duh. But based on the amount of screen time that we spend, the amount of time that we spend looking at a screen, uh, we actually do have to work on this. You know, we laughed at it. There was a the couple, they're lying in bed and they're actually talking. But it was very awkward. They're, they're not sure how to talk. And uh, really, they felt better talking as long as the screen was between them and the laptop was open because then they would know when they were reconnected. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of funny, but it, it actually illustrates the fact that this is something we need to be more intentional about. The writer of Proverbs says this, it says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, you can't be a reliable friend to hundreds or to thousands of people. And yet some of you, I'll bet in your social networks, you have hundreds of friends there. Uh, to, to be a reliable friend, you need time in person with a, peop, with a, with a particular individual. And this is why our church, frankly, uh, we talk about life groups as much as we do. I mean, you've heard us go on and on and on about life groups and why we want to see everybody in a life group. It's because of the value of in-person connections. It's a core value here to us. Otherwise, we end up spending time being around people, but not necessarily connecting with them. We're around people, but we're doing life alone. Uh, and for some people, that actually describes your church experience. You're around people, you see people, you uh, have acquaintanceships with people, but you're alone by yourself, mostly isolated, even when you think about the church experience. Um, I met someone who told me that they've been coming to Deer Creek church for a number of years. And they said that they arrive late, they leave early, they sit off to the side and they don't really know anyone. And she said, I basically come for the sermons. And while that can be flattering to a person who delivers sermons, I told her this church is not primarily about sermons. It's primarily about connecting people with God through connecting people with each other. 
It's about people having the opportunity to connect with other people in person, people who will influence them to move always in the direction of following Jesus more closely. Uh, now, you know, it's true when we, we think about digital living, the, the screen is simply not enough. Uh, it's a great way to schedule time to meet with someone in person. Uh, the screen is a great way to stay connected um, with somebody when there's distance separating you. Uh, but in other words, between times when you can be together in person. But by itself, it is not enough. You need to connect in person. Are you with me so far? That's a real duh kind of a point, but okay, an important point. Number two, we have to learn to be vulnerable in person. It's interesting, in the rise of the internet, people seem to be sharing more and more and more information on the internet than ever. Have you noticed how much people share online, how much stuff you don't care about that they're just putting out there online? Have you noticed this? I mean, you can scroll through Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and you will find, you know, who, who recently had a vacation, who recently had a birthday, uh, who had a kid who got a new dog or a new cat, whose uh, dog or cat died, who got a new pair of shoes, who liked the election, who hated the election results. It's amazing, really amazing, the information that's out there on people's Facebook pages. And researchers tell us there's this sense of pleasure a sense of joy that we get from sharing information about ourselves and then having people like what they see shared online, right? Have you ever felt that? Anybody, you kind of feel, yeah. You got, have you ever posted something and you got back a like? Researchers tell us that when we get a like uh, from something that we've shared online, it actually activates the same circuits in the brain uh, that light up when we eat chocolate. That's, that's a fact. Same circuits light up when we eat chocolate. It's kind of a moment of pleasure. Oh, I'm liked or a, a moment of joy. And it leads us to want to share more of the best stuff of our life, the funniest stuff, the most inspiring parts. You know, we want to get that out there and get it online. And so we're sharing more than ever before. But at the same time, there's a sense in which we're sharing less, really less than ever before. One of the dangers of digital connections versus in-person connections is it's easier to hide the parts of our lives that we're not so proud of or the parts that every day plague us, the things that every day we wrestle through and have to process. That's stuff we don't necessarily share online. It's messy stuff. I mean, stuff like anxiety that we experience or depression that we wrestle with or struggling with an eating disorder or some disease that, that plagues us or an addiction or grieving a loss or battling pornography or sexual addiction. And just kind of a note on that, you know, next weekend, we're going to close this series um, gathering together and dedicating next week to talking about pornography and sexual addiction. I'm going to have Clint Clark here, who's a licensed professional counselor here in Denver. He's part of a ministry called Restoring the Soul. And it's a great ministry. It specializes in restoring broken marriages. It specializes in healing trauma and abuse. And it specializes in healing sex and porn addictions. And that's why I've asked Clint to be here with us. And he's going to be here and I'm going to ask him questions. And we'll get a chance to hear from him. And I think it'll be a really important weekend for us. Because pornography is so incredibly prevalent today. And it's also 
so, so painful. And so just families and FYI, next Sunday, PG-13. You got that? So think about that and you know, act accordingly. Um, it, it's a conversation that we have to have because the problem is so real. And again, so prevalent. Because people are languishing in this stuff. And we need to be vulnerable, even when we gather here, as vulnerable as we can. And we need to be vulnerable, you see, in person. And so we're sharing more and more online, but in so many ways we're sharing less. So the question I have for you is this, who is seeing the real you? Who is seeing the unedited you? Who's seeing the unfiltered you? And in case you don't think that's appropriate in the context of a church, I'll tell you what, then let's look back. Let's, let's consider Paul again. You know, one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church, the apostle Paul, I would argue, shares more with us about his weaknesses than he does his strengths. And frankly, I love this about Paul. Paul wrote this one time in, in Romans 7. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing, he says. And by the way, that's less than 144 characters. Paul could have tweeted that out. <laughs> and in a sense, he did, did he not? I mean, this is incredibly honest. Paul was saying, you know, I don't get it right. I don't do the right thing. I know the right thing and I don't do it. And I know the wrong thing and I do do that. Paul is not perfect, nor does he pretend to be. He is open and he is vulnerable and there is risk in that. There's plenty of risk in that. But you know, this is a value that we see in the life of Paul that we value greatly here at Deer Creek Church. That is who we are as well, a people who are not perfect and don't want to pretend to be perfect. We are all of us on a spiritual journey together. It's not to stay imperfect. We're not gonna celebrate our imperfection. No, 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 that's not where we wanna stay. But in the process of becoming hopefully more like Jesus, we acknowledge at every step, we're not perfect. And we're not going to pretend to be. So for all of you who feel like your life is a little too edited or too filtered or too managed for others, I would just say you need to learn to be vulnerable with others, you see, in person. That's an important part of spiritual growth. That's that diagonal line that we were talking about a moment ago on the graph. Here's a third thing. Uh, we need to have hard conversations with each other in person. <laughs> we need to have the hard talks, the crucial conversations in person. You see, now Jesus communicated this very plainly to us. I mean, he laid down the law, if you will, on this one. He writes, or he didn't write, he said, and Matthew wrote for us in Matthew 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, if they offend you, if they hurt you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. That means in person. Don't tweet about it. You know, don't email on it. Go and talk to them in person. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. That's what we're always looking for. Reconciliation, restoration. The problem is our technology is giving us very creative ways to get around obeying this. Um, 
It's easier to send an email or a text, is it not? Because then you're not looking the person in the eye. I mean, if you don't really want to deal with a person, you can unfollow them, you can unfriend them, right? You know, research has found out that more and more married couples are having arguments via texting today. That's one I really haven't tried, but that, that's more and more people because it's easier. I guess it feels safer, but I would just add, it's a terrible, terrible way to process difficulties with another person via text. And I would just say again, we need to confront, we need to have crucial conversations in person, not through text, not through email, not by changing your relationship status. We have to have the hard conversations in person. Got that? Number four, we need to confess in person. You know, it's fascinating. Uh, some of you will know this. I read that there's a kind of an emerging trend online. They're online confessionals. Uh, people are going online and they are confessing a secret or a regret or something that they feel guilty about. And they're confessing that anonymously online. And uh, what that's telling us, of course, is that the world is the same as it's always been. It's always looking for a place to find relief from guilt, uh, relief from shame. And if there's not a person to go to, they'll go online and they will do it anonymously. But here's something else we know. We know that doing that online and anonymously brings no healing. It can't result in healing. We don't find the relief that we're looking for until we are able to confess in person or apologize in person. Now, back to something I said a moment ago, texting can make it so easy to say the words, you know, I'm sorry. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever apologized to someone via a text? I'm sorry. I would just submit to you, if, if that's the only way you can do it, because of distance, because of time or whatever, then, then fine. But even that should be followed up with an in-person conversation. See, without actually having to engage a person that we've hurt, we don't really ever get to the root of the problem. And sometimes seeing how badly we've hurt this person, acknowledging that whether we meant to or not, we've deeply wounded that person. I mean, that's the place where real healing and restoration begin. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, he says. You see, we do this not so we can... Uh, you know, the, the accusation is against Christians sometimes is, oh, you talk about sin. You're always wallowing in guilt. Get over it. Move on. Why live there? What a depressing place to live. No, 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 no. We don't want to wallow in shame or guilt. But the reason we go and we confess sins to one another is so that we can experience love and grace and freedom and be healed. Healing comes from this. If you have ever confessed a sin to someone and had them reach out to you and say, you know what? I forgive you. I love you. I always will. That is a moment guaranteed you will never, ever, ever forget. Not ever. Because in that moment is love and grace and freedom. In that moment, you actually see and experience something of God himself. And I would just say, if there's any way possible, I repeat, if there's any way possible, we have to do 
confession in person. Now there's a fifth thing and final thing that's closely related to that. And that is this, we need to forgive in person. As we get more and more from our technology, folks are saying that we're actually expecting less and less from each other. But one of the things that we really need from each other is this thing of forgiveness. Boy, do we. We need to offer those words. We need to hear those words. I forgive you. One day Peter is with Jesus and he asks Jesus this question, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, he says. And don't, don't mistake here. Peter's pretty sure that he's being extremely generous, you know, seven times, Lord, you know, Peter's pretty sure he's going to hear Jesus go, oh, wow, that would be a lot, Peter. But Jesus answers and says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Wow. You serious, Jesus? I mean, at what point is enough enough? Well, apparently... Jesus seems to indicate at no point. Forgiveness is something all of us always need. And so also it's something all of us must always be prepared to give. You know, it's funny, there's no app that you can download that will give you forgiveness. There's no device that can heal you from this thing of shame. There's no technology that can say to you, I forgive you for what you said or what you did or didn't say or didn't do. I forgive you for messing up. We can only receive those words from a person, preferably in person. Now, some of you need to hear those words. In fact, truth be told, you are longing to hear those words. Some of you know you need to say those words to someone and they need to hear it preferably in person. Now, why? Well, I would argue that the reason is very simple. It is because this is exactly what God does. You see, we get connected to people, really connected in person. And we are vulnerable, I mean really vulnerable with people in person. And we have hard conversations, the kind of conversations that lead to healing. Those conversations take place in person. And we confess and we forgive in person. And I'll tell you, we do that not because technology is bad. We do that because that is what God does for us every day, all day long when we are at our worst, when we are broken, when we are on the run, when we are hiding, when we are sinning, God didn't just send a text or a message. God came in person, in the person of Jesus, who is God's love, in person. Why? God knew. God knew that we needed Jesus in person. We needed his life, his death, his teaching, his truth, his resurrection, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love, his friendship in person. That is what we needed then. And that is what we need now. That is what we need in order to be finally, firmly, and fully connected to our loving, good, 
Heavenly Father. Uh, I've got an assignment for you this week. It'll spin out a little differently depending on your circumstances, each of your circumstances. You know, on Facebook, you have this thing, friend request. You either love or hate those things, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, friend request. This week, I wanna challenge you to do that friend request kind of thing in person. Might be a friend that you just need to reconnect with, you know, and God brings that friend's name to mind and you're gonna, you're gonna reach out to them in person. Um, it might be just asking someone for help. There's something you've been struggling with, you've been hiding it, but you know that you can get help just by reaching out and creating that connection with a person, in person. It might be having a crucial conversation that needs to happen. And you've hated the thought of having it, but it needs to happen. You know it needs to happen. And I would challenge you to do that, to instigate that, to start the process for that conversation to happen in person. It might be a confession of sin or, or an admission of wrong. And you want to see things move towards healing. But for that to happen, that confession needs to be in person. It might be taking steps to simply connect. Get in a life group, if, if, if nothing more. Get in a life group where connection can be created. Take steps to do that. But this week, your challenge is to make that happen. It's sort of like a friend request, but a friend request in person. Reach out and say, I need connection with you. I need reconciliation with you. I need to ask your forgiveness. Now, always these things are scary. We become very vulnerable when we do this. But I would just underline the fact, this is the only road out of that place called loneliness that I know of. It's the only road there is. It's why God puts us in community. Why did God create a church? Weird people, I mean, I'm not saying you're weird, but you are a little bit weird. And, and then there's me, I'm weird. There's this community of weird people who gather to worship Jesus. We're all different. We have different opinions about different things. Why would God create? I mean, so much easier if we just did this thing solo. Then I only need to relate to me. And you need to relate only to you. But God says, no, it's not going to work that way. It's going to be about community. I'm going to create this entity. I'm going to call it my body, Jesus' body. And I'm going to put people into it. And it's going to be the messiest body you can imagine. But in it, I want people to see my love and my grace and my forgiveness and my truth. It's really a beautiful, messy community. That's what it is. Now, um, I want to take a moment and just pray and ask God to help you and me apply what we've been talking about this morning. And uh, so I would ask you to bow your heads and just pray with me. Jesus, we're grateful that you came in person, that you loved and do love us in person, that you forgive us in person. God, forgive us that so many of us choose to do life alone. So many of us are surrounded by people and yet isolated and alone. Help us break out of that aloneness. Open our eyes 
Here we are, Lord. We're in a room with people who are here and we could help each other. People who are your hands and your feet could speak into our lives and we into theirs. Give us the courage this week, Lord, to ask, to to make that friend request, so to speak, to seek someone out. May we find your comfort in the comfort of those around us. May we, Lord, find your strength in the strength of those around us. May we find your grace in the grace of those around us. May we find you in those around us. And may we always remember that you walk with us. You are with us in person. Father, thank you for this time to remember together, to study together, to hear from you together. And now receive our praise and our worship in this song. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand with us?